have to say about the care they're currently receiving in hospitals, clinics, and office practices, and the overall experience. In the U.S., there's a growing list of ways this information can be sought and compiled, whether the efforts are voluntary, regulated, or tied to reimbursement. Patient experience or patient satisfaction data are here to stay, and the amount of stuff we're getting is multiplying. And not surprisingly, reviewing the information in a meaningful way has become something of a challenge. Who keeps track of all the input? Who sees it? What actions are taken as a result? If it's getting muddier by the day and you wonder if anyone's got some guidance about how to dig out, you've landed in the right place for this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you bi-weekly and also for later listening and convenience, you can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. The issues surrounding all the patient experience information you're collecting are not unique to the U.S. Plenty of other healthcare systems outside this country are in the thicket of this work as well. So we hope what's learned today can be widely beneficial, and that's where our talented panel comes in. I'm going to introduce them in just a moment, but first here's IHI's John Gothier with some reminders about how to make the most of your time with us on WIHI. John. All right. Thanks, Madge. Uh, just a few items to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of the screen is our chat window, and if you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about all the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor later. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all the questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listen to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a slower or less reliable connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. And a simple solution to any hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know, and their phone number is on the screen as we speak. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slide, I've provided a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org WIHI, along with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here, and we need your help for that. Please take the time after the program to fill out a quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge. All right. Thanks, John. A reminder, if you like to use Twitter, we welcome tweets during or after today's program. Thanks for using at the IHI in your tweets. So let me now briefly introduce our guests. Kevin Little is a statistician and consultant who applies information design and analysis methods to solve practical problems. He works on sustainable buildings and communities and improving health care. Chris White is also a consultant who previously served in senior leadership roles at Spectrum Health. Chris's areas of expertise include leadership and system design and readying organizations to solve problems and identify new tools and processes for the future. Kathy Clock is the Senior Vice President of Clinical Operations and Human Resources at Gunderson Health System. She is responsible for the operations of Gunderson Health System's hospitals and clinics in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And finally, James Bonner serves Spectrum Health in the capacity of Director of Patient Experience. 
He's responsible for leading the efforts to transform the delivery of care to ensure that the patient is heard and at the center. So I want to welcome all of you. As with any WIHI, it takes a village to create a program. Uh, these fine guests are like many who have really helped me walk through a lot of material and help tee up the best that we can. A big topic, a complicated topic, and one of the things you should always pay attention to on a WIHI is all the other links, references, resources that we share with you uh, so you can learn more. And also on each of our guests' bio slides, you'll see an email address. You are welcome to follow up with any one of them to learn more because there are sort of some deeper dive kinds of tools and things that people can also perhaps walk you through. So Chris White, I'm going to start with you. And uh, I thank you also for all your help. So you and Kevin Little have been on the road, as far as I understand, talking with many organizations about patient experience data, different kinds, and how leaders can be more effective stewards of this information. So we're lucky to have you on this WIHI. And you're going to help us sort of outline some broad messages that need to be conveyed uh, about this whole area, uh, perhaps the broad messages that you have been conveying when you and Kevin are talking uh, to groups like today. Thank you very much, Chris. Kevin and I have the honor and pleasure of working with people over the country and, in fact, world that struggle with this data set. So don't feel like you're alone. If you're struggling or frustrated or feeling completely overwhelmed, those would be normal responses. But what we would say is breathe, have faith, and know that there's no perfect data, but an abundance of data that with thoughtfulness and analytics we can sort through. And so if we talk about what is patient experience data, what's the framing for that, it's really understanding and evaluating how things work, look, and feel for our patients and families. So it's beyond CAPS, whether it's HCAPS or CGCAPS or whatever sort of CAPS you have, that's clearly one component, but how do we understand the totality of the experience? and our level of partnership and engagement with patients and families. And so we, we're still getting a fair amount of feedback. Um, if, if you guys can sort that out a little bit, I, I'm just hearing it. Yeah, we're okay, Chris. I, I think we're going to be able to kind of muddle through this. Uh, it's not okay. perfect for everyone, but people made the time. Okay. And if we, we need to repeat this show, we will. But we appreciate everyone hanging in there. I think we can get through some stuff. Go ahead. Okay. So just five broad concepts we wanted to start with, and that was that this is really a core competence of leaders at every level, just not the senior team, just not directors, but really understanding our individual contribution, the team's contribution to the patient experience is really an effort worth making. And we like to talk about different stages of comfort with that and um, wherever you're at with understanding and accepting this data that often we start out in a denial mode. Um, saying what we have data because it comes out of frustration and uh, a couple of other places and then we try to ignore it and hope that it goes away so we don't necessarily have to deal with things that we don't have a clear path forward to to dealing with it and then sometimes we try to shoot the messenger or blame the tool it's caps is horrible is horrible whatever the tool is and then we get to a point of acceptance of saying, okay, this, none of this is going away. It's important we roll up our sleeves and wrestle with it to try to get the best data out that we can from the multiple sources that we have, and then we begin to use it. And the more that we use it very intentionally and purposefully, the more um, savvy that we can become about really picking targeted, highly leveraged opportunities to improve the experience of care 
within four patients and begin to know if it matters, if it's making a difference. Secondly, there is, um, we need a comprehensive data set, and Kevin will get into this a little bit more, but really a variety of sources. Um, and we'll probably have time to talk about sort of the blessing and the curse of CAPS because it's drawn national attention. Everybody's paying attention to this data source, but the risk is we only pay attention to that data source, but we really need a comprehensive set, both qualitative, quantitative, some fast, immediate feedback for our teams, and then, of course, the slower, more um, statistically valid and reliable methodology. Thirdly, we need to know, learn, and act on what matters to patients based on good analysis of the data, and that's not easy. It gets easier the more you do it, but we're going to talk with that and look to Kevin for some guidance. Um, fourth, really we would advocate that all data needs to be transparent, broadly dispersed in the organization once there's core competence in this data set with your leaders so there can be robust discussion um, and learnings and ideas and evaluation throughout the entire organization, not just our clinical arenas. And then finally, why we're focusing on data and it's easy to get drawn down um, a rabbit hole of a single indicator, for example, um, noise. Um, we cannot lose the totality of the experience and understand that it's really multifactorial in how patients feel respected and cared for and engaged in their care. And so we would really encourage um, avoiding knee-jerk responses. If you've ever been in an organization or yourself participated, you get a pizza party one month because we're up, and the next month we're putting a team together and somebody's in trouble because we're back down. And so we, what we really want to do is, today is try to begin a conversation with some sanity, some very specific tools and guidelines to really um, not fear or dislike this data set, but embrace it and really have it be a very effective tool. Okay, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Okay, Kevin, uh, over to you. Uh, a little redo there. You're going to walk us through some of the finer distinctions of some of the uh, patient experience uh, data and uh, take it away. Okay, well, thank you. And will you advance the slides? I've just got a couple we of slides. We sure will. Don't, okay, why don't people we go shouldn't to the next slide? Okay, here we go. Kevin. Stages of dealing. Yes, this is Kevin. So we're going to go with uh, stages of dealing, symptoms of trouble. You want to do that one? Yeah, we'll just mention that and then move on. So symptoms okay. of trouble. So mm -hmm. as Chris got said, there are lots of uh, challenges and uh, we put together a slightly tongue-in-cheek, but some of the symptoms that you may be recognizing uh, in your own organization about how you react to some of this patient uh, information. And uh, we've got these slides, so you can review them at, at uh, your leisure. But uh, what I would like to do is just to give you some sense of the scope. Uh, and uh, with these symptoms, keep in mind that we may be overreacting one of the things that I've recognized from my perspective as a data guy, I'm a statistician, is that there are some technical tools to try to reduce the complexity, to give yourself a little bit more breathing room. As Chris said, there's lots of things coming at you from many directions. I tend to focus a little bit more on the number side, the quantitative surveys and so forth. But as Chris said, it is vital for people to have the qualitative, the experience in leadership rounding or observation, talking with patient family advisors, interviewing patients about their experience. We need both, but my remarks in the next few minutes uh, will be more focused on the number side. So if we could go to the next slide, please. 
As We're said, doing it. Thank you. Uh, many sources, uh, particularly in the U.S., we have this thing called CAPS, uh, and so this is related to uh, the patient surveys on satisfaction uh, and um, the view of the patient about whether they were respected, listened to, communicated with. Other countries have similar national surveys that are uh, report cards, and uh, they are becoming only more and more widespread. But as we see on the list here, there's many, many sources to get different aspects of the patient experience. It's like the old uh, story about the elephant. So what are we going to touch? We'll have many, many perspectives, and I think we need to be aware of all of them. But I'm going to focus uh, for just a couple minutes on some of the numerical side. We organized this information. Oh, that's fine. You can go to the next slide. That's good. We organized it uh, in a table here uh, talking about different types of data. And as I said, I'd, I'd like to just make a few comments about uh, using data. And then one or two minutes, Madge, I'm watching the time, recognizing our uh, uh, afternoon session. Uh, about numerical, and then we can, if there, you have questions or follow-up, I'll let you direct me. Is that okay to do that? That sounds absolutely fine. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll get through it, but don't, don't speed up too much. I know people are really uh, paying attention. Thanks. Okay. Okay. All right. So, again, here's a way of organizing on our table here that there's survey data uh, that's uh, asking about uh, patient experience at the top of the page. There's very important information in your administrative and operations data, some of which is indirect, uh, left without being seen if you're an acute care clinic or emergency department, errors, safety performance. All of those uh, sources of information are relevant. Um, I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes uh, framing up a little uh, self-assessment exercise you could consider, which is on the next slide. Uh, and particularly, as, as Chris said, the skill and application of the data need, uh, cannot be uh, isolated into one corner of your organization. If it's just the QI department or just the uh, uh, senior VP of patient services, uh, that's a symptom that we've got an opportunity to make things more widespread. So we've offered this little table just as something you might consider, information sources down the left side, uh, first question is, does your organization have this information? And then second, is it organized and accessible to you? And third, summarized and understood by the senior team? And then finally, how does this get uh, back to the people who are delivering care? Because if we miss that link, then we've uh, clearly not uh, closed the loop and uh, we're uh, able to actually uh, yield a lot more impact if we connect information back to the people providing the care. In a way, that's appropriate, right? Not the pizza party one month and uh, fire drill the next month. Okay. Next slide, please. Uh, we've talked about uh, CAPS a lot, and this slide just summarizes some of the uh, why we care and some of the limitations. It is true that there is um, uh, some important limitations around time lags, and uh, that it really is so global as it may not be useful for guiding your uh, interventions. So uh, there are just a few things I do want to point out, however, because, uh, and the next slide would be uh, contain those, please. Great. Uh, 
For those of you who are feeling overwhelmed or feeling uh, that there is just too much to look at, we have uh, offered five ideas uh, to make sure that you're comfortable with. That will make your use of these data and similar survey data uh, in the U.S. Uh, and other countries provided by vendors like Press Ganey and Avatar and uh, NCR Picker. You need to understand something called top box. You need to understand percentiles, uh, correlations, that N matters. That is how many people respond to a survey and inherent variability. And you need to remember about plotting data in time order. Now, um, I put together a little bit of a, uh, a self-test or a tutorial, and I just clicked on that link, Madge, that you sent me earlier today. So we've got a tool uh, that we've put together, a little self-quiz. You can look at it. It's got answers. So if any of the things on this slide are uh, mysterious, uh, then you're, you're welcome to take a look at that. And as Madge said, uh, send me an email. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, and you should see me at cocktail parties. I'm really a live wire. So, let's, uh, show Kevin, let's show Kevin what Kevin looks like. He's got a great smile. There he is. And there's his um, email address. <laughs> so people could uh, make a note of that. And I also want to say that uh, this link, for anyone who has joined just by phone and isn't logged into the WebEx, um, you can request any of our resources, including this link to the self-assessment thing at info at IHI.org. Okay, go ahead, Kevin. Sorry. Well, I'm, I'm just uh, wondering, Madge, uh, what's your sense of how we go? Uh, we I want you to spend – why don't you go another minute or two about the top okay. box and right, a, a, couple, a couple little tips about correlation and that kind of thing. Okay. All right, very good. All right, so let's uh, advance if you could get down to uh, – uh, slide uh, 13 on top box. Uh, it is what it suggests, though sometimes. Uh, go back one. Yep. There we are. It turns out that it's kind of funny. On the actual survey, the top box is usually the bottom of the list. But anyway, the idea is it's the most positive response. And there are some great reasons to focus on top box. And uh, in our country, CMS does give you all kinds of data reports and your uh, third-party vendors, if you use them, uh, will also focus on top box. It's really important uh, to understand that uh, and to recognize that it is a powerful indicator. So even though probably yes, that is box three, sounds pretty good, there's uh, sufficient data in the survey literature and in uh, combined experience over the many years that the top box is really the one to focus on. So don't combine the kind of sort of happy uh, results with the most extreme um, uh, support for uh, a patient experience. So top box is critical, and uh, there is one exception. There's a little footnote there. Uh, we have talked about correlations, um, but I think I'm going to show you a um, – let's just go down to the next slide here. Plotting survey data in time order is critical. Uh, this happens to be uh, an example of some uh, hospitals that Chris and I worked with a year or so ago, and we were plotting the um, data for the HCAP uh, total satisfaction for the hospital. That's our little code OH1, top box, right? So now you know what top box is. It's the people who are most satisfied. And you can see that the hospitals are different, right? They're not all the same. Uh, but one of the things that we have uh, recommended just for sanity is that 
plot the dots in time order, month to month, things will bounce. But don't get too excited with one month's bounce up or down. Looking at the entire trend, this is no news to most of you on the phone uh, or on the show today about uh, using data appropriately. But it really applies to this um, patient experience data. Time order is critical. In this case, we happen to have put a nice vertical line uh, midway in the middle of the plot because that's where we started making some interventions. And so we were interested in seeing if we could detect before and after. So I, I think with that, uh, Madge, there is that self-assessment, uh, and, and I think that's a, a good place to go if people are looking to increase their, their numerical data skills. It's just one piece of the puzzle, and I know our other guests today are going to talk about some, some big themes and um, strategies for using um, data effectively. So I'll, I'll pause now. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Kevin. I want to thank again everyone for your patience today. Um, if some of you do have time to hang in there with us a little after 3 o'clock, uh, uh, maybe uh, some of our guests, I won't uh, swear to it, uh, can also hang in there for just a, we'll, we'll go a little bit over the hour so we can fit everything in as much as possible. Chris White also is cognizant that she might have been speed wrapping some very major points, although, Chris, it was very clear. Uh, so we, we're happy to kind of circle back uh, to some of that as well. So uh, we're going to uh, thank you, Kevin. Let's turn now to James Bonner from Spectrum Health. Uh, Spectrum and Kathy Clock from Gunderson are going to help us see kind of, you know, what maybe good use of this data, uh, getting on top of it, uh, looks like in, in action. So, uh, James, I'm going to uh, turn it over to you. Uh, I, I was going to ask you that provocative question. Are you doing all the things uh, that Kevin is suggesting one should do? <laughs> are you doing some other things uh, that we that we might uh, learn from? Thank you. Yes, glad to, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a part of the show. And actually, um, it's coming together nicely because I think the things that Kevin touched on um, are really directly in alignment with some of the work that, that we've done as well. And uh, Madge, I wonder if you can pull up the slides here. Yeah. Um, okay. What I want to kind here of talk come. about or right. maybe share with the audience is um, I want to kind of just share some of what we've done in regards to physician engagement. This has been, I think, over the last several years, the, the nut that we've been trying to crack. And we've got uh, we've got a large medical group. Um, uh, practice and um, the, when I got engaged with them, I'd say about three years ago, the word on the street was we don't get a, enough N uh, to even for it even to be valid, so we're going to basically disregard all the data. So I, the, Kevin's point around the N is is very significant. What you see here just as a sample, and I wanted to kind of talk to you a couple things. One, we do use CG caps, we do use top box, uh, and the, the line you're seeing there, the blue line happens to represent that physician as an individual. The purple happens to be uh, the site or the practice that physician is in uh, and looking at likely to recommend. So we're training the data over a 12-month period. The light blue bar we show is the year before, and that uh, the darker one is his current year. The reference point, I think, to share this is, and, and to give you some perspective, we opened up uh, in, into doing e-surveying, utilizing email as well as mail uh, modality. And this has been probably the most significant change I think we brought to our physicians because it took the validity discussion off the table. So this particular provider for one year had an N of 359 uh, survey responses from patients. And 
I think the biggest aha, and I love what Kevin spoke to in regards to there's the numeric or quantitative data. If you look at the qualitative data, and I just throw up some sample comments here, in the mail, the kind of comments we would get is excellent service, thank you. But when we would correlate that back, we'd go, but they didn't give us top box, and I don't know why. Um, versus if you look at the e-survey comments, and if I think it may be a little bit of our, our culture, people are willing to type a lot more detail. And so these are just some samples, but I got to tell you, I've recently reviewed some this past week that I'm um, literally, they were, um, I would say probably a 500 word count about what they appreciated, valued, and what they didn't. That's actionable data that as a provider, uh, it engages them and makes them feel like they can own the change that they need to have. Um, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. There are other elements to this. And this, uh, just so you know, this data gets actually emailed. We email directly, push directly to the site, as well as the, um, the uh, leadership and physician specifically. The other document here you see, and, and I, I blinded this data, it's typically unblinded when it's sent out, is we just basically order rank our providers. This happens to be a cardiology uh, practice. And you can see in this situation, you can see the end column there, the second column, um, but we're really letting them see their performance in contrast to their peers. Uh, one of the things I would, ask to, would say is never underestimate competition amongst providers and how they can learn from each other. If you can advance one more. Um, this is global data um, for that uh, particular uh, practice as well, but uh, go ahead one more slide. I just want to show one other thing. Nope, um, back one. Back one if you can, please. Yep. Uh, this last point I want to make is, is this was also the other element when we think about competition and getting providers unstuck or maybe they're agitated. Um, you know, if we look at that top practice there, the, the one that says WHOBGYN Midtown, so that practice collectively has an N of 602. So again, giving you that perspective, you have to have enough N to even have the conversation. Um, overall, they're kind of meeting our expectations with the top box of 91.53. Um, and there are some providers that aren't. And so again, being able to shed the light to say, okay, overall, they're meeting our expectations, which are pretty high and pretty rigorous. But in that exact same practice, there, there are those that are below, and then there are those that are above. And this is, is an example of an executive summary that we would be sending to the leadership, and we've been able to make transparent, actually, in that entire practice, even at the staff level. Let's go one more slide. I want to just talk real quickly on maybe new ways to think about data. Um, so one of the things we've been working on is, is trying to help um, look at help providers look at their impact. So we have different size practices, and um, we, we know that some are performing very well. In this case, there's an example of the ones in green um, that are performing well. The ones in red are the ones that have the greatest opportunity. But we also want to put response rates there. So as I sit down with the department chief and they're saying, what can I do? Where do I need to spend my time and energy? They can see where they have excellence and where they have opportunity. The, the, the uh, other... Uh, piece that just flew on the screen there is the state of Michigan, so that's where that's where we live. Spectrum Health, interestingly, is based uh, in a place where it's not green. So it's interesting as we look at this data, this helps them to kind of think about the patients that travel the greatest distance uh, from the, the zip codes uh, on the outer regions actually rate our services higher. They view us as kind of coming uh, to a, an expert, uh, you know, from afar, so to speak. Um, and our greatest opportunity is with our neighbors, the people that we live next to, um, and the, the people that are directly in our community that we're servicing. So it just helps the providers think about the relationship and, and where they want to invest their time and energy. 
let's go one more. There we go. Um, this is this is an interesting way to reflect on the data. And this is um, if we look at the what I call the the mountain behind. That really is our is the volume of response by age. This is a zero through 100 uh, age age demonstration. And basically, the the red would be it would be below our expectation. Green would be above. And if you look at this, you know, the people that are interestingly 95 to 100 love our services, 100% top box. Um, but as you can see, there's a very small response rate. So um, as we look at that, uh, the thing that keeps me awake at night and, and what I'd love to hear from this audience, and I don't know if you, anybody else is looking at their data this way or doing deeper dives in, in this kind of fashion, is when I look at, for example, the age of 18 to 45, that's the, that's the group that's unsettled, right? Their expectations are different than maybe what we are uh, serving with, the, uh, with uh, the older population. And how do we best meet those needs? But again, looking at the data in a way that informs uh, our leaders, our providers, and engaging them in that. Um, I think I'm going to end now, but I just want to kind of just share. These are just some global approaches we're using, uh, some quick samples I wanted to share with the group, eager to hear what others have and feedback in regards to that. Okay. I like, the, I like this, uh, these images on defining quality care and uh, is it healing, is it right? So that's kind of the final uh, slide that James had provided. Thank you, James Bonner. I really appreciate it. Uh, some of you are teeing up some questions, which is fine. And uh, I also want to say it's true, some of these slides are somewhat detailed. You have obviously the ability, many of you on your screens, to manipulate and zoom in on the images and hopefully you can take advantage of that. All right, it's a real pleasure uh, to introduce our final guest, Kathy Clock from Gunderson. And um, she's going to sort of walk us through what's going on uh, in Gunderson, at Gunderson with this space. They're doing some interesting things. and. Um, also, Gunderson is kind of uh, pointing towards the future uh, in terms of patient-reported outcomes as well. So welcome, Kathy Clock. Well, thank you very much. I'm terribly excited to be a part of this panel and have already taken notes on things that we can use to improve as well. So thank you to the three previous panelists, and I'm looking forward to the comments from the um, <clears throat> listener group as well. Um, Gunderson Health System, for those of you who say, where the heck is that, is in officially the middle of um, nowhere. We are on the corner of the state of Wisconsin, western side on the Mississippi River. It's really quite beautiful. Um, and we touch Iowa and Minnesota, and that would be where our um, regional clinics are. We're an integrated delivery system that has a 115-year um uh, legacy with the community, and we have um, always um, had a uh, multi-specialty provider practice model here. Um, we have uh, 400 <clears throat> medical staff and 230 uh, mid-level providers. So one of the things that I think we have um, the advantage of is that for the last 15 years, we have been a part of the Wisconsin Collaborative on Healthcare Quality, which is a statewide network that um, does transparent data across disease management, preventative medicine, and other um, quality initiatives. So we had the opportunity for many years to see how we were doing compared to our peer groups um, up on a state website. So by the time we embarked 
probably pretty vigorously about um, five to six years ago in how to manage our patient experience data, we had um, a history of folks already having their information um, pretty transparent. So we've done a couple of things. Um, we do provider-level reporting, and much like um, James um, spoke to, we do it at the individual basis. Um, the department chairs get a department-level summary of each of the individual providers, and then we send it to a variety of others in the leadership arena as well. We have responsibilities for the providers um, to understand the data, to collaborate with their colleagues, and identify opportunities for improvement. And some of what helps to motivate individuals besides the competitive nature of the medical staff would be that their salaries are tied to um, improving in this particular metric. And because of that, um, we have the blessing of being able to provide them with um, in-clinic support or even in the hospital with our um, service department who oversees our patient experience um, activities. So if you're struggling, we can send you to that primary care provider, someone who will sit in the exam room with you throughout the entire um, day or even as long as a week and help identify areas where um, the provider is um, having kind of a stumbling response to um, their patient's um, needs and what the patient expects to be able to hear. So um, another activity that we have done with um, um, pretty um, vigorous uh, executive support is the Patient Story Initiative. Now, this really came from those of us sitting with the patient advisory groups who would tell us the stories in that setting to help us improve or help us de design something that will make their um, experience with us better. Some of them were so amazing, we, we began to say, well, what if every meeting that we began, every gathering we had, whether it was a board of um, trustees gathering or a um, gathering of just a unit or department, we would start that meeting with a story. And we also post those stories on our um, home intranet, and they change fairly rapidly. And we encourage our, our um, leaders to utilize that patient story initiative from their own experiences to share what is um, really remarkable about the care that someone they love or know has received, or even themselves, and where are opportunities for us to learn and improve. The other, um, the other initiative we've had the privilege to begin is an electronic interactive immediate feedback um, mechanism within the hospital itself. So we put, um, put this... It's a part of our patient ed and um, our entertainment network, if you will. So, yes, it is a TV. Um, but we put out the questions of the day. We have um, questions around areas we know we struggle in, like quiet at night 
or um, how is your pain being relieved? We have open-ended questions. And if there's a patient who has a an issue, that will automatically um, page the manager or the charge nurse if the manager's not there to come and intervene immediately in that um, person's um, issues or difficulties. And we think that that um, ability to help do immediate feedback and the ability to do um, kind of on-site intervention really has helped us with our response rate to our patient experience um, surveys because it has actually gone up now. You know, only only those of us in healthcare can get really excited about 41%. <laughs> but, you know, that's uh, pretty good, gives us pretty good ends and um, a lot of uh, personal data that we can work with. The other the other thing that we utilize pretty effectively that I um, is a tool that I'm happy to share with the um, anyone who's interested is a leadership evaluation tool. Is the first thing that comes up on our practice dashboard if you turn on your computer in the morning. And what it does is give you where we currently stand on um, quality and service and um, our employee experience as well as our financials. And so you can see um, where you are. It, it has various levels. You can scroll right down to the individual unit itself. So we've tried to take some fairly um, fairly varied approaches in order to, to help the data have meaning to all of us as um, how our patients and families um, interact with us is pretty important because for any of you calling in from the Midwest, almost everybody is a neighbor, friend, or family member of some nature. I say we have no strangers here, and just because you didn't recognize that name doesn't mean they're not married to the person in your practice. So um, the other piece that we are pretty excited about is that we're in the beginning stages of the um, IHI collaborative on um, patient-reported outcomes, and our orthopedic department is participating in that, and that has... um, a lot of exciting opportunities for our patients' experience where the outcome of their total joint replacements really gets um, measured and we can look at where the best practices are and listen to our patients to allow us to understand and work on the way the different areas we need to improve on. So if I not if I talk fast enough I should be in five minutes. You've covered a lot of ground, Kathy. I want to thank you. I'm going to ask you one question around something that I think you had mentioned uh, in the planning of this, which has to do with compensation. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you could just make a comment about that. I also, uh, somebody asked about that leadership evaluation. And uh, for that, um, I, I don't know that you'll get... I hope you won't get hundreds of emails, but anyone is welcome to follow up with you directly uh, to look at uh, that in, in, in a little bit more detail to talk with you about that. Does that sound okay? Oh, that sounds leadership. perfect. Right. It's an interesting Excel sheet, which was a little tricky for us to share uh, on the program, but Kathy would be happy to talk with folks about that. But say something about the compensation issue. 
Well, I think that um, one of the unique things about our area is there are no private practices. So, and those of you listening are going, what is she talking about? Um, we have all um, all of our medical staff and, associ- and uh, associate medical providers are um, are employed medical staff and have been from the beginning. So. This is um, an opportunity as we have evolved um, to approach the compensation from a um, different different perspective and to utilize the data to um, decide whether to um, compensate them their whole RVU uh, load, which is the way we calculate their production. And we've taken quality and service and a uh, great place to work in that in the provider world we refer to it as citizenship as as pretty important markers um, in our primary care departments as part of their compensation plan, it can be up to as high as twenty percent in some of the other departments that are um, are just in a different part of their journey um, it's at least. Ten percent. That help? All right, great. Thank you very much. I, that was just one other, I thought, Im- important development going on at Gunderson. All right. Well, listen. Wow, you guys have been great. Uh, the panelists, the audience, everybody's hung in there. Uh, thank you all very, very much. Um, we're going to now uh, turn to questions. Uh, John, kind of just a quick reminder to folks about the chat. People are already kind of in there, and I see that uh, Kevin at least has started to try and address some of your questions. Go ahead, John. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Uh, If you have a question, just make sure that it's addressed to all participants. If you look down at the bottom of the chat window, it says send to, and just make sure that you're clicked to all participants and then ask away. All right. Thanks a lot, John. All right. um, Let me, I think what I'd like to do here, so uh, first of all, I want to say to, any, again, anyone on the phone, when you or anyone who's joined today, when you log off the program today, you can download the slides and the chat. Kevin has actually addressed a, a couple of questions that have come up about the compressed percentile scale, um, this issue of the N, um, and, you know, um, a provider might be saying, wait a minute, that's only 25 patients versus, you know, 95 uh, patients, that sort of thing. So we're trying to address some of these things in the interest of time in the chat. I want to circle back to Chris, who <laughs> jumped right in there also uh, with a broad thing. Um, and Chris, do you have any reflections, um, even given seeing what some of the questions are or what you've heard so far? One of my questions is is what kind of response rates uh, we're, we're finding out, we're getting uh, with all the various tools uh, and, you know, where improvement uh, might occur there. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I, I, thanks for turning it back to me because I wanted to just point out and not let it go by maybe unnoticed, both James and Kathy, two very, very high-performing organizations, both like nonchalantly said, oh, yeah, the comments are really the valuable piece that we get off that there's a richness to that from the James reference with the data, the hard data. Kathy talked about using advisors and um, multiple other sources of of data, the the question of the day and the stories and the other anecdote. And that is one of the key takeaways that I think we would like to be sure that you may not have – 
you know, a statistically valid number of positive letters, for example, but it helps round out that data set to help deeper understanding and then using patient advisors, if you have them, to really help translate even a degree farther. So really um, good examples from organizations that this is just sort of second nature to them and how they've grown up and how they've uh, done their work for, for many, many years. Um, the question of Anne, I'm going to turf that back to Kevin because this okay. is something that's real um, and, and we see a lot of tail chasing in this regard. So Kevin, can I, he's much more succinct than I. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, there are several questions about N. What kind of an N are you shooting for? Um, you know, somebody said, what are your end size goals per provider? Uh, concerns right. about a low end. Go ahead, Kevin. Well, uh, there are two things. One, you asked about response rates, and nationally on the at least the HCAPS numbers, it ranges from state to state, but it's in the 30s. Uh, so when uh, Kathy says that Gunderson is pushing their uh, patient response rates into the 40s, that's a, quite an accomplishment. So what we're seeing then is one in three patients are responding. And so it's a natural question when you've got people whose uh, 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 reputations or careers or compensation are being judged. It's a, it's a legitimate question that they raise is saying, well, that's only based, what about the other 60%? Maybe they really liked me. So there are definitely issues around response rate. Around the N, as James said, one way is just to uh, aggregate your data and look across and get it large enough so you don't have to worry about all the technical gobbledygook. I put some information in the chat about how to do that. Uh, when you get down to uh, sample sizes of 25 or so and you ask for a percent, there's an awful lot of uh, built-in variability. And, and uh, for those of you who like that arithmetic, it's, it's in that tool that I referenced. Uh, but 25 or 30 is really quite modest. I was on the phone yesterday with some providers looking at their CAP scores, and I asked, well, how many surveys are you talking about? And she said 30, and that was for a whole quarter of work. Uh, and so that, that, there's, that is a very uh, uh, variable uh, source. Before you base judgments, you need to understand some of the statistics. But I, I, I want to echo what Chris said, uh, emphasizing direct observation by supervisors, by leaders, interaction, the patient stories that Kathy talked about, uh, vital to, to complement all these uh, formal surveys. Thank you very much, and uh, Kevin and, and Chris as well, and also James uh, wrote some things in chat about what they're doing at Spectrum Health in terms of kind of what sort of goals they have in terms of response rates and also uh, the end there. Um, I'm curious, somebody has asked <laughs> when we're talking about, um, in some sense, how to quantify qualitative data. So if you get comments, um, sort of how, how that kind of, you know, can be integrated in uh, almost in a quantifying way. So if that's not a contradiction, does anybody want to answer that? That stumped the stars here. No, I no, tell. No. Yeah, this uh, is uh, Kathy. Kevin, uh, and it's a great <laughs> question. If you've got enough comments, then you can do that. That's all that people are doing on Twitter these days. They're gathering gobs of text messages and looking for keywords. And so that is a way to do it, but certainly organizing them. As, as uh, James showed, they've got a way of capturing the data. At the very least, having it captured so that you can uh, – look it over 
and see what kinds of things they're doing. That's the first step is just capturing it and not losing it. And then you can do keyword uh, uh, searches and you can do some sorting and binning if you want to be quantitative. But I think the first step is capture it. The other, yeah, I would uh, echo uh, that. Oh, go ahead, Kathy. I'm sorry. All right, we'll go Kathy and then Chris. Go ahead, Kathy. <laughs> sorry. Chris and I have been um, vying for time here for years. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's the extrovert thing. Um, I will t I will tell you that we um, have used our qualitative data in very practical ways. Um, if we get enough, something as simple of these chairs are uncomfortable or this this color scheme is you know you know 1950ish. All that aside, we have whenever we do any kind of um, refresh, redecoration, new areas, we bring our patients in. And we have them try out chairs. We have them give us advice on colors, on what would feel like a healing environment, even so much as, you know, how much light, how much not light, how do we, you know, how do you, how do you tailor that for where you are and, and how you feel. So we, we really use our qualitative data as actionable items for ourselves in how we um, progress in, in what we do, not just, just the care touching experience, but also the environmental experience. Thank you. Chris? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that there are tools available. And as long as 20 years ago, there were databases um, and vendors that collected um, patient comments, both good and bad, letters and such, um, that began to clump them into pods. And so the richness of that is they may find a snafu or an opportunity within your systems and processes or staff and team that's more reflected on a survey question. That could be, you know, just a diamond in the rough of a place to go through and try to understand the impact it's having within the organization of patients and families. And so um, you don't, what we don't want to do is get one horrible letter and think we have to change the entire universe because of that. Um, you know, certainly it needs to be addressed, but what can we learn from that more broadly to see if it's a pattern or a system failure that needs to be addressed? So I would echo... Um, and I, I think James would probably say the same thing is understand and begin to categorize and, and, and analysis, do the analysis along with your other data sources. Thank yeah, you. James, James, Go ahead, James. There are some tools around sentiment analysis where you can actually categorize in a quantitative way comments, you know, on a uh, minus three to plus three range. You know, for example, if a patient says, you know, the nurses were great, they were so caring, but the food was awful. You know what we know is is uh, the caring and the nursing is more highly correlated than the food in the overall experience. And so, where do you want to spend your time and energy, and and how would you quantify that comment? But I think you know to Chris's point again, quantifying uh, data, um, getting it in the hands of the leaders that are accountable, which is actually more of a culture component, um, and then ensuring that. Um, I often think of, you know, every comment as a gift, and it's hopefully some degree of a call to action for every single leader that we don't just look at it as information, but it, it requires a deeper dive. And at times we even say to that, the, uh, the provider or to um, that manager, let's get in touch with that patient so we can better understand what they were trying to share with us. Um, so we've even done some circle backs or, or made contact and said, you know, we'd like to learn more about your experience, and you know, you, you um, and how can we, um, you know, partner with you to make that better? So, again, rich, rich data source. 
Thank you. And um, I um, want to um, just again thank everyone who's contributing through the chat, including our panelists, getting some things in. Kathy, there was a question, uh, uh, Kathy Clark, about the question of the day via the TV. Can you say a little bit more about that? Oh, sure. Um, the question of the day can be anything from, um, you know, what what is you know, what is your experience? <laughs> not to not to laugh at James's thought about the food, but food comes into it. What is the what is your experience with your caregiver today? What is your experience with um going you know, for an X ray, for your lab draw, for your pain, for I mean we, we have a, a pretty um deep um dictionary, I suppose, of things based on the comments and scores of past um, years so that we can utilize that in the question of the day to see whether people are, you know, do you know who your caregiver is? Um, and we, because we do it by unit, we are then able to, you know, look at how quickly things are intervened at and how, um, you know, whether we need to follow up more closely on that particular area for that particular question. Did that help? Okay. Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, I I think what we're going to do, I'm going to ask one more quick question, and then uh, I think what we're going to do is maybe kind of go around the horn for some wrap-up remarks. I'm curious, I think I asked this on the planning call, to what extent uh, uh, patients, uh, people from the community who take part in patient family advisory councils, are they part of reviewing um, sort of some of the survey data that come back uh, in terms of helping to inform their work? Um, maybe, Kathy, since you just spoke, maybe I'll start with you and, and kind of we'll, run, we'll go around the circle here. Did you say me, honey? Yeah. Oh, okay. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. It's the uh, Midwest. I love it. I did grow up in Ohio, and I just want to say that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our uh, patient advisory groups do review the data. Um, we take it back to them, and you know, try to get some conversation about was it did it ring true, valid for their experience. And we have a, a lot of different. We have an overarching um, organizational patient advisory council, but we have. Um, service line patient advisory councils as well. So if you're in the cancer center, you know, it's very tailored towards that and anything that comes back that we might be concerned about, you know, we, we feed the data back and they help us improve. Same with cardiology, same with, you know, orthopedics. And um, I think that that really helps keep the um, kind of the, the the face to it, that it doesn't just become data as much as it becomes somebody's uh, genuine personal experience because sometimes it just brings that home again to us. Thank you, Kathy. James, is that uh, are the advisory groups uh, kind of part of uh, reviewing some of the information? Yeah, um, yeah, we have uh, patient family advisory councils as well. We actually have 13 councils, over 100 volunteers at Spectrum Health uh, across the system that engage in that. We, we share that we actually use the data, I would say, more at a global level. And what we do is we we take our action plans and strategies that we're taking from the data, from all the data sources that we have out there, and we're vetting them with our council members. So it's less into what I call the granular review 
uh, of the data, but saying here's what we're seeing at a global um, level, and here's the here's the intervention that we would like to consider in regards to that. Do you, you know, from your sense as a council member, from uh, being a consumer in our world, does that approach make sense? That's largely the kind of the way we interact with the PFAC uh, around, um, you know, the data source. Okay. All right. That sounds good. All right, uh, Chris. Let's start with you, Chris, um, who started us off. Um, and uh, I don't know, kind of where where this whole area is, is going. I mean, the the media wrestle with a lot of this patient experience um, data in terms of you know hospitals getting dinged and exposed and you know financial uh, things that are at stake. Um, Within the the world that we're talking about right now, um, kind of, are we are we getting kind of more comfortable with all of this? And what would you say, kind of pointing some ideas forward for us? Yeah. So what I would say, if there was one thought I could leave everybody with, it would be that no matter what pressure comes, or you know, seems to be the the urgent need of the day or year even, is to stay absolutely focused on what matters, what matters to patients and what creates the right systems for us to provide care in. I think that there's a danger. Um, The blessing and curse we spoke of with CAPS is that it has brought huge, significant attention in being mindful and understanding the value of a strong partnered experience with patients and families. That's the best thing that's happened. What I've seen in some settings is that in Michigan, we call it teaching to the MEEP, and you can chase low indicators without the context of the broader experience, and it causes depression, and I would say in some organizations, even almost depression of not being able to move a single indicator on a survey, whether it's CAPS or anything else. But um, And we get obsessed with that thing and lose sight of the overall experience. And so I love, there's some very meaningful work um, going on all over the country and world in this regard. And the people that are winning, <laughs> both colleagues of ours and patients and families, are people who focus on what matters and all the indicators eventually float in those organizations. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Good parting words from you, and I really appreciate your participation today. Um, Let me uh, turn to Kevin. Some thoughts? Well, I just appreciate all the questions. I'm typing away here, Madge, and uh, uh, welcome. uh, Invite anyone who wants to email me uh, uh, again. And uh, the insights I think that James and and Kathy bring are really um, something to set your sights on for those people listening, because their two systems are really uh, exploring new ways of using the information actively, right? feeding it back, getting it in the hands of uh, the executives and the managers and the frontline staff and, so, uh, and the providers so that they can use the information in a responsible way. So I think that's a great lesson. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much, Kevin. And uh, some quick comments uh, from you, Kathy, and then James uh, to wrap up. Thanks. Well, I think that um, one of the things that is really important for us to remember is that if you chose to work in healthcare to begin with, you come to work with the intentionality to care for people and to make their experience better. There are a lot of things to get in the way of that, and I also believe that the data, as Chris said, can be helpful, but it can also be paralyzing. But at the end of the day, Um, I just had my knee replaced at our organization here, and my 
My favorite story about that is um, the second night after surgery, I had a mini meltdown, and my nurse said to me in the dark, you know what, it doesn't matter who you are, you're a person, and this is scary, and I'm here to help you. And that, there isn't a top box in the world that can describe that. Wow, thank you. That's that's very, very important. Thanks a lot, Kathy. I really I'm sure everyone really appreciates that and your participation today. All right, James, you get the final word here. All right, I'll try to bring it home. Thanks, Madge and <laughs> team for for this. Uh, and I, I think my comment is actually right you know, I think correlates with Kathy's comment and I, I know I glossed over this last slide to save time, but you know, this is about a healing experience and so there's ways we can measure it, there's ways we can quantify it. At the end of the day, our, our patients come to us broken, hurting, and suffering, uh, and it's our privilege and responsibility uh, to step into that space and provide that healing experience for them. And so, as we as you're on this journey, it's very easily it's very easy to get caught off in the data and the minutia. And again, I think to put Chris's point, uh, you're never going to be wrong if you are looking at it through the through the lens and the eyes of the patient. Okay, well, thank you all. Uh, just hang in there for just a minute. Uh, two more. Uh, some thoughts from John Gothier here about uh, at least one way you can learn a little bit more through um, IHI. Go ahead, John. All right, yeah, thanks, Madge. Uh, well, as we learned today, if you can make sense of patient experience data, it can be a valuable tool in improving care, quality, and the patient's experience. That's why uh, we're excited to invite you to a great expedition on using patient-reported measures to improve the value of care beginning on October 22nd. Learn how patient-reported measures are used to improve the value of care and how they are being used to meet the demands to improve quality and reduce costs. For more information, be sure to visit us at ihi.org slash expeditions. All right, thanks, John. I want to again thank our guests, and I want to thank you, our wonderful audience, about 500 of you. Uh, we got up close to almost 1,000 at some point uh, with us live. About 500 of you have hung in after uh, the top of the hour. And uh, thank you for your patience with a little bit of the hiccups at the beginning with the technical stuff. All, uh, given uh, this field is really evolving um, and moving fast in some very, very important ways, I have no doubt that we're going to return to it and maybe bring uh, the folks who are on the phone right now back uh, for some updates, um, and uh, we'll continue to try and get you all the material. So a reminder, you can, when you get off the show today, you can, first of all, thank you for filling out a brief survey. Uh, we appreciate that always. You can get the slides, uh, download them, you can download the chat, um, and if you have any questions whatsoever, you can uh, let the folks know in our customer service area, info at IHI.org. So again, thank you guests, thank you audience. We're back on September 24th with another WIHI. Uh, this one I've titled More Than a Mandate, Mandate excuse me, Quality Improvement and the Clinical Learning Environment Review, otherwise known as CLARE. Really interesting things going on in graduate medical education, very tied into patient safety and the rest of the work going on in an organization like never before, so we hope you'll tune in for that. Um, and I uh, want you to check out the archive page tomorrow on IHI.org. You'll find the audio of today's show 
and all the resources. Our wonderful Jane Rossner here at IHI often puts something pithy up on Facebook if she can think of something. <laughs> and uh, we hope uh, if you did uh, send around some tweets that you put at the IHI in there. There are some wonderful people who help make WIHI possible. They include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jesse McCall, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Lily Stairs. And it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. Thanks, everyone, for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day.